0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two hundred and eighty-three of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Coo, CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host Alison Tate, the author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaband Cipher book series. How are you, Al?
1: <laughs> well I have to apologize I think my voice is even a little bit huskier than usual this week because I have collected <laughs> myself a cold as uh, winter has finally reached um, Australia and we have had this sudden blast of gale force freezing cold winds and somehow I've ended up with cold so you know apologies if I have to you know cough and carry on yeah you sound fine you said good you know the husky right. voice becomes you Oh, Becomes Me, yes. Well, you know, like I, I, it's not the kind of voice that's going to get me voiceovers on Finnish company <laughs> voicemail or anything, as regular <laughs> listeners will remember from last week's, you know, Val's Surprise of the Week last week was was that little little one. But um, yeah, so apart from that, I'm good. I've been very, very busy, which is a bit you unusual have. for Al. Um but i 'd like to give a big shout out to the lovely Cassie Hamer, um, whose debut novel after the party came out um, earlier this year, but whose lovely daughters I met It was very funny. I met them at a school visit on Friday when I was in Sydney, and uh, I was doing a q and A at the end of um, of my session, you know like where kids were asking me you know whether I drew the book covers on my books, and I had to explain that I can only draw stick figures, so no. Yeah. Um, and this little girl put her hand up, and she's like, "You know my mum." And I was that's like, sweet. "Do I? <laughs> Do I know your mum?" And anyway, she turned out to be uh, one of Cassie's lovely daughters. And I met both of the girls in different sessions, and they both were very quick to identify that we we knew each other. So it was very cute.
0: <laughs> oh, that's
1: sweet. Yes, it was good. I had a busy weekend though, because I also went to Sydney Theatre Company's. Um, production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof oh, with was Hugo Weeney. It was really good. Really intense. Like really yeah. intense. Um I to be honest, I've never seen the play before. Like it's I know it's an oldie, but um I'd never seen it. So it was I, I thought it was really good. Not even the movie. I haven't even seen the movie. How about you that? I don't think I have either. No, it was it was really absorbing. It was really well done. So um yeah, I enjoyed that and we uh, we went to Vivid and have a look at the lights, you know, oh, wandered wow. around and, and uh picked up a brochure and there we were with our heads in the brochure gallery. That was that's a bit of a shock. That's
0: right, that's <laughs> right. So if you haven't caught up yet, Alison and I are part of the official program at Vivid and so we're going to have So You Wanna Be a Writer the Live Event at eleven AM on the on Saturday, the eighth of June, on the top floor of the museum of contemporary art. So make sure you get your tickets. If you want to um, get your tickets, go to ridercenter.com.au slash vivid ideas. slash vivid ideas. And tickets are selling like hotcakes, so make sure that you grab yours. But yes, was vivid. Were the, rest of, were the lights at Vivid good? Did you see the Opera House? Was it all lit up? I did. It was amazing. And the, you know, the front of um, Customs House
1: there is always a, a, a bit of a oh, highlight. Oh, great! And the MCA. The MCA has got this incredible, like flower thing going on all over and butterflies and you know mm. yeah It's I mean it's it's a it's interesting it's so crowded like it was I just there were so many people wandering around you know in the in the dark sort of just all absorbed by the lights it's a yeah it's a funny old festival from the light you know the lighting perspective mm.
0: but it's beautiful absolutely beautiful it was yeah. it was good yeah, we enjoyed it's it. Stunning, stunning, absolutely. Um, I have not been going to the Sydney Theatre Company. and no? What Kat have you been Hotting doing? Roof. Oh, I've been binge watching this TV series <laughs> right. that um, I it's like the best TV series you've never heard of. Well, some listeners will have heard of it because I'm obviously extremely late to the party. But this is one of the best television series I've ever seen. It's called Line of Duty. It's British, and it's um. It's absolutely brilliant. It's police procedural. Uh, They're investigating corrupt cops, Um, but obviously there is various crimes involved in the process as well. It's by the makers of the of um, Bodyguard, which is the recent television series on Netflix, and it's like I couldn't stop. It was like being on crack. Not that I know what being on crack is like, but what really (laughs) I imagine being on crack is like it. I just couldn't stop. Anyway, so. Not a lot of writing got done as a result of my recent obsession, but I'm almost mm. caught up, so I'll probably go back to normal programming soon.
1: I watched the, I think I watched the first um, series, I think, of that one. line of duty like a while ago. Yeah, I think so. Oh, so good. Yeah. Anyway, this I don't is think not I was sponsored. as enamored of it as you obviously are, but because I, <laughs> I didn't go on with
0: it. But you know, yeah, good. Oh, wow. I'm glad you're happy. Oh, very happy. Um, this is not sponsored at all. I just uh, you know, hashtag okay. not sponsored. Yeah, hashtag not sponsored. Um, let's move on to the world of writing and publishing instead. And we have what have you got for us? The Moth International Short Story Prize 2019. Always oh, yes. a good one.
1: Always a good one. Closing on the 30th of June, 2019. I just thought I would let people know. Um, It's open to entries from writers around the world. Uh, The winner receives 3,000 euros. um, And the second prize winner receives a writing retreat in France's Loire Valley, which, you know, to me is almost like I think yeah. I'd rather have that. Mind yeah. you, I'd have to get—I'd have to get there, which would be a little bit stressful. Um, but yeah, it's a—it's a big—it's a big, it's a big uh, short story competition. So if you write short stories, um, it's definitely one to have a look at. Uh, The Mm. judging takes place anonymously. So, you know, like they, it's not something that's, you know, that you're going to be in or out of because of publishing credits or your name or anything like Mm. that. And um, yeah, it's, you know, like I, I think short story comps are just a great way to put yourself out there a little bit. And so if you are someone who writes them, then you've got nothing to lose, by entering, um, and the I'll put we'll put the link in the show notes to the to the post. We d- I found it on Aerogram Studio, which is actually a really great um, website for. Uh, they do often list prizes and competitions and things that are going. So I'll put the link in the show notes um, there. But there is also an official The Moth website, um, yeah. which is themothmagazine.com, and you will of course find the details for it there. It does attract a fifteen euro. Um, entry fee so that is something to um to bear in mind and you know and I we usually try we try to uh to talk about not just here but also on the Writers center Facebook page and stuff we try to talk about um obviously uh competitions that have a range of different entry fees and that because I appreciate Mm -hmm. that not everyone can afford um a big entry fee um and a lot of the stuff that we share is actually free but this one does have a 15 euro entry entry fee with it.
0: And it's for previously unpublished works of fiction up to 5,000 words. Mm. So get cracking. And Mm. if you are thinking of it, you've got time. So Mm. what you should do is sign up to the short story essentials course because even if you have not started your short story, This will lead you step by step so that by the end of the course, which you do at your own pace, so, you know, you could do it fairly quickly if you wanted to, you will have written a short story of two and a half thousand words and you will get feedback on it, but Mm. you need to leave some time to get the feedback on it. So make sure that you do that sooner rather than later if you're interested in entering this so that you can write your story and get your feedback before the 30th of June so you can enter. Um, and uh, you'll find that, of course, at writerscenter.com.au/slash short story. So check that out. Now, we've also got, oh, big congratulations to Paula Stevenson, who uh, is AWC alumni. She completed the course Writing Picture Books with Kathy Tasker uh, a little while ago, and she's recently scored an. Um, a book deal, a contract with yes, little people. Yes, very exciting.
1: Books. As she very calls it, the golden ticket, which I think list. is just lovely because you kind of feel, do feel like you've, you know, whisked out the, the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Um, and she talks about how, she basically talks about in this, we, we'll put the uh, link in the show notes. There's a blog post here on paulastevensonwriter.com.au in which she talks about the process of how she came to write the book and, and her journey to publication. And, um, you know, she she did the, the picture book course, but she wasn't new to writing. She'd been writing for adults for quite a while um, and done courses, you know, with lots of different people. And so she kind of rediscovered her love of picture books with the arrival of her grandchildren and then wanted to create them herself and though she talks about her her journey to publication through that. So um big, big congratulations to Paula. Writing a picture book is a lot, lot harder than it looks. Um so you know it's a it's a great achievement to have got that over the line. Well done.
0: Yep, well done. Now, <clears throat> after picture books, often readers will graduate to chapter books before they then graduate to middle grade. Now, chapter books have pictures in in it still, but they have more words in them than um, picture books, and they're they're things like Weirdo by Ando, or Lulu Bell by Belinda Mar- Morell, and The Bad Guys by Aaron Blaby. So they're kind of just a little bit of a step up, and they're a popular age group to write for. And one of the things that um, we've been receiving is a lot of requests for our course, Writing Chapter Books, which is currently only available in Sydney, to be available online. And some pretty exciting news, that's going to happen. So with the help of best-selling children's author, Leslie Gibbs, you'll learn how to break into this market and write these sorts of stories. So it's a I've been through the course, I've been through the whole online course, it's absolutely fantastic and if you want to be one of the first to hear about when it's available, where you'll get a special price, then go to writercenter.com.au slash chapter, that's writercenter.com.au slash chapter. Now Al, a couple of weeks ago you may recall that I mentioned that I was reading the Library Book by Susan Orlean. Uh, yes. The book is called The Library Book, which yes. I haven't finished yet, but it's a cracker. It's really good. I Got Waylaid by Line of Duty. So <laughs> it's, yes. it's, it's, it's <laughs> sitting right next to, like, my TV chair. <laughs> but um, uh, I'm going back to it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's um, basically uh, I thought it was so good I wanted to share it with everyone else. So we have three copies of the library book by Susan Orlean in our giveaway this week. The best-selling author of The Orchid Thief reopens the unsolved mystery of one of the most catastrophic library fires in history. Susan Orlean became fascinated by the mysterious crime that has gone unsolved since it was carried out on 29 April 1986, who set fire to the Los Angeles Public Library, destroying more than 400,000 books. And perhaps even more perplexing, why? Using her characteristic humour, insight and compassion, Susan uses this terrible event as a lens through which to tell the story of all libraries and the crucial role they play in our lives. So if you want uh, to win a copy of this fantastic book, go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writercenter.com.au/ slash win. Now, owl brace yourself. I'm braced. <clears throat> Are you ready for the word of the week? I could not be more ready. Okay. flues. That's F for Fred. F L E W S. Flues.
1: Mm. No.
0: When you first said that before you
1: before you um actually spelt it, I was mm. thinking maybe it was like from fluzy. Like the oh. verb. The verb to <laughs> fluze. F-L-O-O-Z-E. I kind of like my version. I like it. But it's not not the verb to flus, is it? No.
2: (laughs) No. And it always
0: (laughs) sounds like the past tense of flu, but it's already past tense. So past past tense, but it's not. So F-L-E-W-S, you might think this is something to do with flying, but it doesn't. Those who have bloodhounds as fur babies may be familiar with this term because it actually refers to the large pendulous upper lips of certain dogs, such as bloodhounds. Seriously? Yeah. Flues. My, yeah, my dog doesn't have flues. I'm looking at him now, but, you know, some dogs
1: no. do. Well, my border collie does not have flu?s either. But mm. that's, well, that's, a,
0: that's very interesting, Valerie.
1: <laughs> I kind of yeah. like my version as well, just quietly. Okay, yes. But, um,
0: yeah. <clears throat> yours, is, yours is okay, yes. Okay. Um, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who have we got?
1: Ah, well, this this week we are speaking to Victoria Perman, who is um, an historical fiction author um, about her new, well, well, about all of her work, but also about her new novel, which is called The Land Girls. And uh, we had a lovely old chat about the various aspects of writing historical fiction. Victoria Perman is a best-selling, award-nominated Australian romance and women's fiction author. She is the author of 15 novels, and her latest novel, The Land Girls, is out now with HarperCollins HQ. Welcome to the program, Victoria.
3: Thanks, Alison, for having me.
1: All right. So... We're just going to go back, you know, because we do like to go back into the mists of time as to how all these things came about. Mm. And I'm looking at your books page, which is extremely well laid out, and it looks as though you started out writing sort of contemporary romance and then you've moved in the last few books into historical fiction. Is that a fair assessment of your kind of writing and publishing journey?
3: It is, um, but it wasn't purposely done, I have Ah. to say. I started... um, I went along, I've always wanted to be a, a novelist and I think that's fair to say it's probably every novelist you've ever spoken to um, but when I was a, and I tried writing when I was a teenager and I thought it sounded so romantic to, to write books and I loved reading, I was an absolute bookworm um, but back in the day, back in the 70s and 80s um, I'm fifty-four, so I'm kind of, I, I don't mind owning that number um, but back then, there weren't creative writing courses. There weren't. There wasn't a career path so for someone like me. I was a migrant kid from the western suburbs, you know. So um, the the thing you did if you liked English and history like I did was to become a lawyer or a journalist. And um, I didn't get the point to become a lawyer, thank God, because I would have been really terrible. I'm, I'm just so not detail-oriented, I can't tell you. Um, I do see the sort of big picture stuff. So um, that's what I went and did. But I'd always had that nagging dream in the back of my head. And I tried it a couple of times over the years. And I just didn't, it was a bit directionless. And then my you know, my husband and I had three children. And of course, you don't get anything else done ever when you have three children. But <laughs> um, so I, I hit about 44. And I thought, mm, you know, if I don't try this dream now, um, it, it might slip, me, slip past me. I'll never have it. I'll lose that chance. So I went to a workshop at, at the um, Writer's Essay, and it was a romance writing workshop because I love reading romance. I still do. Um, in my life, I've had really serious jobs, um, and really really difficult jobs, um, and I don't want to read about serious and difficult things when I come home. I want to read something escapist, and I want to read about great female characters. And So I... Um, Went along and to a romance writing workshop, and uh, the person giving the workshop said, "There's a romance writers of Australia conference in August. You should, you should join this brilliant organisation. Um, and this is March, and uh, if you write your book, you can pitch to an editor there. Um, and I thought, right, and I kind of bit the bullet, and that was that was when I wrote my first book.
1: Wow! So did you get it done for August for the? I
3: I did, I I I was obsessed as I tend to be about something Um, and I wrote every night, I was working four days a week at the time, my my younger son was 12 Um, and I wrote at least every night and on the weekends I finished a 100,000 word book by August Um, and I pitched it at that conference that was at the Gold Coast and um, I sat across from um, Hayley Nash, she was then the commissioning editor at Harlequin. And um, I told her about my book. And she said, yeah, I w- would like to read the whole manuscript. And I and, and I was overcome with such a sort of nervous attack that I, I couldn't hear. couldn't quite hear what she was saying. I think I had a buzzing in my ears. And I couldn't hear her say her email address as to where I should send the manuscript. So I ended up just handing over the piece of paper and pen to her. And she kindly wrote down her name. Oh, and I walked out of there and I... It was the whole flop sweat experience. I was just drenched. I I was shaking. I was no, that was pretty exciting. And and they read the book and then offered me a three book contract uh, by wow. December. So, so just wow, yeah, it happened well, that's, pretty quick. Yeah,
1: that happened very quickly. So that was the start yeah. of your publishing journey. And so at that stage, you were writing. What sort of would you classify it as? Sort of category romance or
3: uh, no, um, not. No, they're longer. Our categories are about fifty, forty-five to fifty thousand words, and they yes. fit into those really specific Nelson Boone categories. Mine, um, I describe them as contemporary coastal romance. They're all set at the beach, uh, okay. not in the region, not in the, on the palms, if you like, as in rural romance. Although, is, you know, the themes are the same. But um, we spend a lot of time at the beach here, um, south of Adelaide, and I just thought it was a beautiful spot, and I just wanted to write a book about it. So. That was my first book, Nobody But Him, and that came out uh, the following October. So that was um, so. By the time all that had happened, is, it was October 2013. Nobody wow. But Him was published. So
1: October 2013 yeah. was your first novel, and we're yes. now in where are we? April, May, um, pretty much May. Let's face it. Um, yeah. 2019. So six years, and you you're onto your fifteenth book.
2: Yeah, I That's a lot it of either. books in a, a
1: short space of time.
3: It is. Not all of them are, um, I, I do stress for people who think that I'm some crazed workaholic, not all of them are uh, full. T- what you would call a full-length single-title book, which can be about 100,000, 100, 120,000 words. Uh, six of them are shorter, about 45 to 50. Okay. Um, I write for an American e-publisher called Tooley Publishing, and they're the ones that are shorter. And okay. I've written a novella as well, so, yeah. yeah wow,
2: but still, but it's, that's, it's, that's a lot. plot
3: 15 is the way I look at it.
1: Okay. So, when you, um, so in that sort of, you know, six-year period that we're talking about, you've written quite a few contemporary romances, but you have also moved across into um, women's fiction, but hi- with a historical edge,
2: right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it kind of started with um, The Three Miss Allens, which was my 2016 book. Um, yeah. Again, sit at the beach, but um, I got the idea, you know, it's a bit of an amorphous thing about where ideas come from, really, so, so you know, you'd know. We don't know, where do ideas come from books? Well, we're like birds, we pick and choose little bits of things and bake a cake out of it, I think, and put all the ingredients together. You know, there, there's a, a beautiful old um, building in Port Elliot, which is on the Florio Peninsula down here, and it, um, it was um, a supported accommodation facility when I first saw it. So people with mental health issues were, were living there and it was pretty run down. There's no money in that kind of business, no investment. So it, but it closed and it was empty for a while and then it became a youth hostel and so it's been completely renovated. But I've watched the evolution of this building and I wondered what it was when it was built in the... I thought it had been built in the 30s, but when I investigated, it actually been built much earlier than that, and it had been a guest house on the south coast, and right on the spot with the most amazing views down to the um, Coorong, where the Murray reaches the sea, um, and so that got me thinking about who used to stay in that house. When it, the, the guest houses was all along that part of the coast, and people from the city, from Adelaide, Go down there for a month in the summer to escape the heat. And it was a real holiday destination and honeymooners would go there. And so I, I kind of knew all that and I just thought, who would go? And then it turned into a, a dual timeline book. Um, so I had some modern day characters going down and finding a guest book in this old renovated uh, un-renovated building and wondering who the people were in the guest book. And it sort of took off from there. And, and that started me on that kind of research binge. Um, I, I just absolutely love going back into our, our past and um, digging up de- really those really small details which make social history. I guess mm. um, a lot of history is about dates and figures and battles, and you know, I'm a more interested in how people lived and what the social mores of the time were, and um, and so that's where the three Zealands came from. And then I loved it so much, and the next idea really was just in it was. I wanted to tell the story of my mother's um, migration to Australia in the post-war period, and, and that became the last of the Bonagila girls. Mm. Um, so, it, it, as I said, it wasn't anything I ever started out doing. That I, I don't in any way view them as an apprenticeship. Those earlier novels, although I think I, you know, it's inevitable that I think my writing's improved over that time. But um, I'd love to write another romance one day if I get the time. But uh, at the moment, the historicals have really got me by the short and curly then they're uh, really fascinating to me at the moment all right
1: so do you have a core readership like you've obviously with your romance um novels you establish a, a certain readership do you have a core readership that's followed you through that journey into this this sort of new um new realm of historical fiction or do you have to create a new readership base each time you have a change in direction do you think well,
3: that's a really good question i think there are I think there are romance readers and, of course, lots and lots of books have love stories in them or Mm. or elements of romance in them. Um, The Land Girls is really the story about three women. All of them have romantic attachments. It's the wartime, you know, um, so many women did. And so I wanted to reflect that part of their lives as well. But really, it's about more than that. Um, And I think that uh, those readers have stayed with me because... I still get that little kick of romance that you know we all love. Mm. Um, but the, with the historical books, I've actually had more men reading them than my others, of course. That's some interesting. Men don't, men don't actually admit to reading romance. We know some do, and they're proud, and we love them. <laughs> but, um, yes, the World War II aspects and the historical aspects of the last my last couple of books have interested men. And when I toured with The Last of the Bonagilla Girls, it's just that name is so evocative to anyone who's a migrant in this country. And, and men would come along and tell their stories about coming to Australia and they remembered being at the Bomagilla camp, which is um, near or between Albury and Donga. Um, so, yeah, I've had men, men readers too. And the covers are very feminine. You know, there's the a whole other debate about covers. But, um, you know, men have picked them up and I've been really thrilled. It's had messages for them too about being um, new to Australia.
1: Yeah. So when you're researching your historical fiction, like is there a method that you use for managing that research? How do you decide what you're going to look for?
3: Oh, that's a really good question. And, and often I don't know what I'm looking for until I've found it. Um, sometimes things just leap out at me. And um, for instance, with, with the land girls, I, I knew I wanted to write a book about the Women's Land Army. Um, there were 6,000 women during World War II who went out, who left the cities and went out to the country to work on farms to keep Australia fed, actually, and to send food to our troops and feed the visiting Americans who were here. So I knew we had a land army. I didn't quite know. I spent a lot of time waiting for the inspiration for that, the opening scene in the, the opening chapter. And I was reading some transcripts of women who had been in the, the land army, they were recorded in 1990. Um, and one woman told a story about her inspiration for signing up. They were These were working-class city girls. No one expected that they would embrace this land army idea so um, wholeheartedly. But this one woman had a brother who was medically unfit to go to war, and he received a white feather in the mail. This was World War II, and I knew that it happened in World War I, accusing someone of being a being off and fighting and she was so incensed that this had happened to her brother that she decided to sign up sort of in his stead if you like and do her bit and as soon as I read that story in the transcripts I thought there's the opening scene mm. um, but I didn't know that before I had read them, I was just waiting for it I'm a journalist by training and I think sometimes you just, you know, you would know you just, you know the hook as soon as you hear it,
2: mm. it's
3: not until you hear it that you think, ah that's it and, and that was that um, that's the way it happened for me with that. So but you choose the, the kind of is... a sorry. You choose a you oh. choose a time period, or you choose a building,
1: or you choose a as you say the the Bonagilla camp, and then you go looking for the story around that. Is that is that how you would describe it?
3: Yeah. Well, yes, I do. And I, I knew I wanted, say, for the Bonagilla girls, I wanted to. The, the book opens in 1954 in April when. Um, the character loosely based on my mother it's not my mother's life but um so what i knew i wanted to write about them coming to australia and um being at ponnegilla before they went out to jobs around the country all these thousands and thousands of migrants so the question always is when you're a writer and you're approaching it, where do you start that story? Mm. You know, um, do, you, do I start it when they get on the boat in Germany? Um, do I start it at the very end of the war when they're expelled from Hungary, which is where they came from? Do I start it on the boat coming over? And I made the decision to put them right in the middle of the action and arriving at the Bonadilla camp in the middle of the night on the train. Um Trains were very evocative for people who had lived through World War II in Europe mm. because I don't think to say they were very evocative. Like so the the um, research I did uh, threw that little hint of the story up at me as well. So the fact that they're arriving on a train made people very upset and scared and triggered a whole lot of emotions for them. So I, I decided to start the book right there with people arriving. Um, they They didn't, it was the middle of the night, they didn't know where they were. They didn't know what, it was pitch flat. Um, they were tired, they were hungry, they were cold. It was freezing cold in Albury-Wodonga um, in, in, in April. Um, and then to have the next day revealed to them as the sun rises and they see where they are. And a tra- an interview I read with someone who was there said, it looked like Texas because it was um, vast and empty and so... Again, those evocative things just really leap out at me sometimes. And mm. um, sometimes we, uh, sometimes authors don't know where to start and I, I do always try to start right in the middle of the action.
2: Mm.
3: You know, you don't want people to read the book and then three chapters later something interesting happens. Yeah. Um, you, well, it's for the type of fiction I write, and that's commercial fiction, you, you want to grab them. And also when you're pitching to publishers too, you want to grab your publishers. Mm. They don't. They don't, or if you're pitching for the first time and you're an unpublished author, in, in a commercial fiction sense, you don't want them to have to read three or four chapters to find when the action starts because they won't. No, that's right. So what's your
1: process for writing then? I mean, how much time? Let's let's imagine, because you're you're pretty much doing about a book a year with those bigger books at the moment. Is that right? Yeah. So what's yes, your time right. frame on that? Like How much time are you allocating for research? How much for writing? Are you actually working on a few different things at different stages, or only one manuscript at a time?
3: No, I can only do one manuscript at a time. Uh, um, I, I do work three days a week, so I have about three days at home writing mm. or researching. Um, I'm I'm almost done with all the research for the, my next book, um, which is going to be set in the immediate post-war years um, in Sydney. Um, And I've started. I know vaguely what the story is going to be, but I need the research to inform that because um, you can have all sorts of ideas about what happens, but if your research doesn't back it up, then you're in a hole. So I try to do as much research as I can, and then match that with the story idea that I have. So uh, the the book that I'm writing now opens with the return of the first prisoners of war from Changi back in Sydney in September 1945. Right. Um, so, so I have to get that it... right. I have to honour that story, you know, honour those yeah. stories.
1: And how long will it take you to, like, once you've completed the research um, to where you're happy with it, how long will it take you to actually draft that, the first draft of that?
3: Um, I have started now and I have a deadline of September the 1st. Okay. So um, I just have to finish... Okay. And I, I do you have a plotter. Four months maybe. Um, no, I'm not I'm not really a plotter at all. Okay. <laughs> I have guessed. I'm not a plotter. I once the story's in my head and I know the story now, um, then I just have to sit down and, and write. Right. Um, and that takes immense seats of concentration. Um and my work's particularly busy at the moment and that's also um distracting and my and the land girls has just been released. And I'm doing lots of um, interviews and touring for that too. So that's also incredibly distracting, albeit, you know, fantastically fun. But um, it's starting to – it gives me low-level anxiety that I I should have really have uh, written more of this book, but I'm not quite there yet. But, you know, it is what it is and um, I just have to fit it around everything else and and write the best book I can.
1: Do you manage that by timetabling? Like how do you – like the fact, as you say, you're working – um, you're in the busy period up to the election you've got um, you're giving you're doing all the the promo for the land girls, which as you say, until you're in the middle of it, you don't understand how busy that actually makes you or how distracting it is. so with that going yeah. on, how do you fit the writing in with your family and everything as well?
3: yeah
2: that's, that's a really good question
3: I, I um I do it at the moment I'm feeling a bit exhausted um, and um, Talking about a book while writing another one is very confusing sometimes mm. um, and I have to, and, it, and it's, it's a seat of concentration actually and I've, I've got an author event tomorrow night, I had one yesterday, I've got one Friday night, I've got one Thursday and then I've got a couple of weeks break and then I'm off touring up to Queensland, New South Wales, Canberra um, and and then later on in Mildura so I know there's a big workload coming so I don't schedule or timetable myself really. I just use my Scrivener writing program, right. which helpfully tells me that I have about one hundred and thirty-two days left, and I have one hundred and five thousand words to write. <laughs> oh, there's no pressure there. <laughs> no, not at all. And then I start doing that. So that's thousand words a day. Mm, no, I didn't do any today. Okay, that's that's even more tomorrow. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Alright, um, so with love and romance being such a strong thread and you're managing the, the historical stuff, obviously, you know, trying to remain true to all those things as well, what do you think is the most difficult aspect of managing a romance within a story? Because, you know, people do it well and they also do it, you know, to the point where they end up in those Bad, you know, sex awards. Um, so, like, what, what, what do you think is the, is the most difficult aspect of it? Of keeping that, because it's a, it's a completely different story arc, isn't it, to the main story arc, the romance
3: arc yeah. as well? Yeah, Yeah. I will defend romance writers and say that, to my knowledge, no romance writer has ever won the Bad Sex Award. No,
1: I, I defend them. Uh, I'm with you on that. They uh, Generally, other people trying to manage romance within a you know, exactly. different type of book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It is a skill. The, re- the reason I'm asking you the question is it is an absolute skill. And, you know, where do you think most people go wrong?
3: That's a really good question. And um, I have to sort of preface that by saying um, I've never studied creative writing. Mm. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a journalist by training. I think what that does is it attunes your thinking to what's a story um, and it gives you an economy of words or, or and, and you've used your writing muscle a lot over the years. So uh, um, those sorts of plot points, I, I don't plot out, but I know there has to be a you know first act um, um point here, and then we, then we have the second act, that three-act structure. I, yeah. I think that comes instinctively to me, which I'm really relieved about. Mm. Um, if I had to plot that out, I would lose interest really quickly. I, I'd get bored with it, and so that's just not my process. Other people, it works for them, and I, you know, hail to them. It just hasn't worked for me, but I, I just, I do have an instinctive knack for the, the flow of the story, and, you know, when you're in the middle of a, you know, writing a soggy middle, boy, you know it. Mm. because you're writing scenes that aren't going anywhere. Mm. So there is that three. Uh, fortunately for the land girls, I have the structure of the war. Mm. So I kind of, I did plot out, well, not, not in in um, chapter terms, but I did have a chart with, um, the land army was formed in ni- mid-1942 and the book, my book picks up in December 1942 as these three women joined the land army. So I knew that in December 42, the land army, they went off. What happened at that Christmas? Where, who played cricket that summer? When were the, so I knew that Pearl Harbor had happened, that the bombings on Darwin had happened. What happens in 1943 in Europe? Uh, where would the troops have gone? Which And this was the complicating thing actually. Um, if the, if a, someone joined up in Sydney, they couldn't have been in a particular division because that division was raised in Melbourne, for example. Yeah. Um, so that I had to get right and that dictated to me, I couldn't for instance have my um, Sydney character join the war and go to New Guinea if the division he was in didn't ever end up in New Guinea. And I yeah. had my husband who's a, a war, a, a warholic I should say, he loves war history and so he, he helped me and we researched the Australian War Memorial Archives just to get that right because the minute someone reads that and it's, it's wrong, it lifts them out of the story, so I kind of had that structure, and then I knew when the big events happened in the war, and of course I knew what happened at the end of the war. Um, so the story spans that 43, 44 up to August nineteen forty-five. So that was kind of my historical timeline, mm. um, and then I had to, and then I had to map against that the seasons because the land girls were working in agriculture. Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't have them picking apples in December. Yeah, when apples are picked in, you know, yeah, March, April, depending on where they are in the country. So, so that was another sort of complicating factor. And then, but that gave you the structure to to move them around. And the land girls did move around from place to place and town to town. So, um, the, the, the the sort of main character, Flora Atten, goes to Mildura to pick the Sultana, uh, the Sultana crop, and of course that had to be in Sultana season, which is the summertime. Um, okay so how so, then did yes, you create
1: had, three heroes within that as well though because that's the thing that's the key with the romance aspect of it is creating your three cat because you've got three girls right three land girls
2: yeah and then yeah. you need three, three girls then yeah. you need
1: three worthy you know
2: yeah, love, love yeah.
3: so and yeah I do like it complicated so I not only have the military history the agricultural timetable with the seasons and then I had three girls from three different cities um Three boys and very, three boys, well, girls and boys, three boys from very different circumstances. Um, and uh, because I do, that's the thing with a multi-character book like this, you don't want everyone to experience the exact same story arc where well, it's really boring. Yeah. Um, so they all come from different places, different social structures, if you like, um, and, and so did the, the men they're in love with. So, um, but you then have to, you can't have them all reaching a, a critical point at once. It's it, it's like riding a wave for them all. That, um, for instance, you don't want them all to have that black point, in, in the one chapter. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a good question, and I think it just it kind of comes naturally to me. And my, my publishers certainly point out if it doesn't come it's okay. not working. Um, but but it, it's just the way I work that I don't want them all to one in that book. There wasn't a happy ever after for everybody. Yeah. Um, it was the waters, no spoiler there, but... Um, um, so would it be fair to yeah, say so, then
1: that you use history to drive the structure of the book and character to drive the structure of the story? Is that fair? Like, do you, yeah, is yeah it, no, you fair. Is it that the character fair. that yeah, drives the story? Yeah. So you you basically no, you're managing both of those yeah. things, yeah.
3: That's right, and, the, and the, the, the arts for those characters have to be meaningful. And realistic—that's uh, uh, the sort of book I write. Um, and and yes, and and history did history was the the frame. But what I like is the the, the social history within that, and the, the the characters and how they reflected the social history of the time. So, okay. so they're the things that you know keep me at the keyboard.
1: All right. So switching gears slightly, what do you think? Like you've been sort of like immersed in publishing now for six years. You've created mm. you know created fifteen books, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned about the publishing industry over your career so far?
3: The biggest lesson? The biggest lesson is that they want you to do really well. You know, it's, a, it's a tough thing when you're starting out that you, it's only natural to look around and say, why are they getting more publicity than me? And why is that book doing well? And why isn't, why didn't mine get such a big print run? And you no, know, it's They're really natural reactions to have, but publishers will pace you as well, I think. Mm. And they will... um, They want the book to succeed because it's their reputations on the line too. Mm. So um, everyone's in it to make the book a success. Sometimes Mm. it doesn't happen for a whole range of reasons which have nothing to do with your book or the cover or um, their efforts. It's just... If people knew the answers to those things, they would all be... You know, working to the formula, okay. um, but they don't really. And and sometimes word of mouth makes things take off too. So um, I think that that's the thing I would say is that they want to do the best for you and the book. Um, they are on your side. Um, they also work extremely hard and they are more busier than ever, I think, in the publishing industry. And I have a, a tremendous respect for... The team behind me at HarperCollins HQ, because I know how hard they work.
2: Yeah,
3: um, they don't sit around during the day um, reading manuscripts, eating a box of chocolate. You know, we have this image that they're all in leather chairs in a you know book-lined room. It's all beautiful. I think we've seen in the movies, to be honest. They read manuscripts at night on an iPad in bed when they, if they have a partner, when their partner to sleep next to them. Yeah. Um. So uh, you know, that it's, it's a hard gig, and um. Retail is a hard market at the moment and books are a retail product and um, you know, publishing's changing, people's reading habits are changing. So um, I, I try to understand as much of that business side of it as I can without it getting in the way of what I'm writing because at the end of the day, I'm making a product that's in shops, whether it's a widget or a book or a, you know, a dress or a pair of shoes. Um,
1: I actually think romance writers in their various many forms have been among the most savvy in writing that, you know, the various ways of technology and the changes in reader behavior and all of those sorts of things like you can see um, as a genre um, that. That group of writers has, you know, they work together and they work very hard to kind of keep romance, you know, readers happy and to keep that that stuff out there. Like, do you? Why do you think that's the case? Like, is that something that you've noticed? And do you have you learnt stuff from being part of that cohort of writers?
3: I, I have learnt a tremendous amount. Um, I, I think the reason it, it happens is because romance books have never been taken seriously by the literary establishment mm. um, and I'm not going to get into the why's and wherefores about that, I just think it's a fact that it hasn't been. Yeah. So what romance writers have been really clever at is connecting with their readers in ways that bypass the review pages for example yeah. um, and so I have a fantastic connection with readers on my Facebook page. They um, One gave me a whole load of old Tupperware because she remembered I said I loved vintage Tupperware. These are <laughs> I know, they're just the most wonderful people and the most generous and, um, you know, the changes in the media landscape too mean that there are fewer and fewer few review pages anyway. Mm. So how do people find out what's going on? Well, they can visit my website or connect with me on Facebook or any of the other socials on Instagram or whatever. And it, so it's that reaching out to the reader, I think, that romance people have been so good at.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, because romance readers have felt belittled and marginalised as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's relationships forged out of that kind of landscape, I think. So
2: are you um, actively... And... Sorry, keep going. I,
3: know, I was just going to say, uh, Raymatt Charities of Australia is an organisation which has just been so dear to me, and I was on the committee for three years, because it, can, it makes those... Um, connections with readers but it also takes seriously and respectfully the craft of writing Mm. Um, and there's a workshop every year with, you know three days of workshops about the craft of writing and and the business side of writing and self-care and all those other things too but we take it seriously because it's it's hard I mean you know people have this assumption that you can whip off a sometimes people say to me gee you churn out the books yeah you know what it's you know how I've written a million, 1.2 million words? Because I've worked really hard. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's
3: um, right. And, it, and not everyone who tries it can do it and is successful at it. But um, it's it's hard work and it's craft and it's dedication and all those other things. So the romance community is just, you know, really strong, supporting each other. And, and I hear people from other genres say that they, they wish they had that in their genre, they don't have it okay. um, so much.
1: All right, so um, let's finish up today with two things. Where can people find you online?
3: You can find me online at Um You can also find me at Victoriathen Author on Facebook because I'm there a lot. And yesterday uh, we were talking about dressing gowns. So because I just celebrate. I can go... <laughs> yeah, I can, oh,
1: oh, you bought a new one. I, I saw, saw that. I
3: saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I was celebrating and I thought I'm gonna buy a dressing gown. It's getting cold here in Adelaide finally we haven't had rain for a very long time and I thought I'm gonna buy a new dressing gown. It's this is a glamorous gig this all the life. Yeah, it certainly um, is. and uh, yeah. So all right, go um, to Victoria you can find me there. and there? Instagram. And 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 Instagram, Victoria's German author. And I'm not going to model my dressing gown. You can (laughs) see the (laughs) colour.
1: All right. And lastly, can you share with our listeners, our avid listeners, your top three tips for writers?
3: Top three tips for writers. My first tip, read lots of books. Do you want me to elaborate? Would you say,
1: can I ask you this? Because we do get read lots of books a lot. So my question yeah. would is always for those authors, do you read lots of books within the area that you write or do you read lots of books across a whole range of different
3: things? Uh, across a whole range, actually. Yeah. I can't read in the genre I'm writing when I'm writing it because I'm always so conscious of inadvertently stealing someone's idea or something <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I haven't read any of the Land Girls books out of the UK because I was so worried that I would read them and think, I can't write that plot one I had in my head, even though, it, you know, there's only eight plots, but I didn't want to people to think that I had done that. So, okay. you know, I read crime as a bit of a, to get out of my head. Yeah. Um, um, I read crime, I read um, non-fiction, I read memoir, I read lots of romance, yeah, because I... I just enjoy reading, you know, everything really. except fantasy and sci-fi. Not my themes, but okay. uh, so, so read, read everything, and read it for fun, and then read it for plot, for character, for description, narrative. And I think that they're always learning experiences. But also read for fun. All
1: right. So that's the first one. Read. What else?
3: A uh, bum glue. <laughs> that's my second tip: if you want to write, just sit in the chair and type, and keep typing. That's the only way you're ever going to finish a book. And three would be find a community of writers. It it can be a lonely business. Um, I was involved for many years with Writers SA here. I'm still a member there, um, and they have workshops and social gatherings. And um, if you're not a romance writer, for instance, and you know you're not a member of Romance Writers Australia, um, find a crime group or find your fantasy group or. Find your tribe and it'll sustain you when you have you have setbacks and when things aren't going well. And when things aren't going well, they will celebrate with you and that's the best thing too. Yeah, so
1: true. All right, well, thank you so much for your time today, Victoria. Very much appreciate it. Best of luck with The Land Girls and all those various promotional things and with getting the next book written by September. Sounds like quite, oh, thanks,
3: the, so, quite the
1: task. And, um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you around the traps.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash writing. There you go, Victoria Perman. Great interview out. Oh. Yeah, it was great. Like, it's always interesting.
1: I, I I think the thing that I'm always fascinated by with these interviews is how wide ranging you can go oh. within a very similar, like, you know, like it's it's not like I'm asking groundbreaking questions on any level, but what you actually, the responses that you get and the directions and the tangents that mm. you follow, Um, it's always such an interesting thing, isn't it? Everybody just has their own methods of working, their own ways of thinking and It's one of the things I really enjoy about the podcast.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, what have you? What are you doing in the coming week, Al?
1: I am. uh, What am I doing? Oh, about eight million bits of admin, which is just not something we want to think about. Like you know, that's the thing. People are like, "Oh, you must have such a lovely life, Al," and I'm like, I'm buried in admin but yes it's awesome um Mm. yes i'm doing that i'm doing lots and lots of admin so that's my week and i'm also writing a novel so that's at least there's a balance there right yes 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 well yes what about you what are you doing
0: i am preparing for my upcoming june because june is looking really crazy for me i had a look Mm. at my calendar and i barely have any days at home or if I do have days at home, they're just interspersed here and there because I've got to do um, quite a number of uh, w- workshops in Sydney and Brisbane and um, all over the place. I've got to go here, there and everywhere. So I will be on trains, planes and automobiles. And um, I've just been busy kind of booking hotels and organising flights. It's not been very exciting. Wow. Okay. Mm. Another
1: one of those.
0: One of those months coming up, so I kind of had to plan. Yeah, wow. Um, Anyway, that's okay. You can do it. I can do it. Yes, but it'll be good to see people from you know all the various places that I'm going to. Mm. So, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at. Sorry, I'm just about to cough loudly, so please excuse me. (coughs) (coughs)
1: Poor Al. I know (coughs) the self sacrifice. You will find me at alisontait.com, dot tcom You will find me on Twitter at at Al A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at alisontaitwriter. And to Val...
0: Thank you for soldiering on while you have your cold and your cough, Al. Um, You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Over at ValerieKoo.com, that's K-H-O-O. You'll find all of the show notes at SoYouWannaBeAWriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways,
2: competitions and much more.